Today's episode is presented by Tudor University. How are college coaches learning advanced recruiting techniques from the comfort of their home? Go to dantutor.com and click on Tudor University for all the details. And now, it's time for the show. That's right, it's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, owner of one of the largest ceramic owl collections in the eastern United States and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey coach, this is Dan. Glad to have you with us on this episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. As you may hear in the background, I am on a drive. I am headed to an airport, then headed to two campuses, and that's what we do. We go and we meet and we consult and help college coaches all around the country to become better recruiters, to be more efficient and more targeted in the way that they recruit, and that's what I'm getting ready to do once again. And I love it. We love what we do at Tudor Collegiate Strategies, and part of what we do at TCS is help coaches formulate recruiting philosophies. And that is, that's very important in the process because most coaches don't have a recruiting philosophy. You have offensive philosophies, you have training philosophies, team development and leadership philosophies, but most of the time we find that coaches don't have recruiting philosophies. And very recently, we talked to a coach who was in that same boat. He really had not developed a recruiting philosophy, but he knew he needed to. And we walked him through the steps of how to develop his recruiting philosophy. And what I think you're going to like about this episode is that everything that we tell him, which is, of course, going to be specific to his program, uh, your recruiting philosophy would not be the same as your competitors recruiting philosophy and so on but what we're going to do is outline a strategy and a an uh, um, an architecture for how to do that yourself what is the right way to formulate your recruiting strategy that's the focus that we want to uh, that we want to uh, spend time talking about so we're going to get right to it we're going to jump in with this conversation uh, recruiting philosophies by the way do not include things like, well, we want the best kid possible. Well, that's everybody's recruiting philosophy if, if that was what we were defining philosophy as. No, this is about the approach. This is about having a framework in place where you are guided by that philosophy throughout the individual recruiting process with each prospect you talk to. That's what we're talking about when it comes to recruiting philosophy. So sit back and take a listen at how this coach is going to develop his philosophy. See if it might apply to you. And as you're listening, be thinking, coach, what is our recruiting philosophy? What are the things that we want out of this process? And this is all about control, coach. This is about who controls the decision-making process. We want it to be you. And we're going to put the power in this coach's hands. And if you listen and apply the strategies, we can do the same to help you as well. So let me know what you think afterwards. And uh, let's get started with this conversation with a coach on developing his recruiting philosophy. All right, well, my question was about, uh, I had a school ask me um, about my recruiting philosophy. Uh, and it's something I never actually thought about. Um, I never thought about writing that down in a paper uh, and what it would look like at a school um, where uh, retention is heavy, uh, um, it, we're 95% athletics. Um, so that 
our, our recruiting philosophy will change depending on uh, really me as a coach. Um, I want to win games, want to do those things, but also right. want to please the school. Right. So, and the one thing that you had mentioned before we uh, we got on the uh, the podcast was that you had never really thought about a recruiting philosophy before or putting it down on paper. But since thinking about that, just to lead into this conversation a little bit, what would you, how would you have defined maybe up to this point, your recruiting philosophy, or what are the things that, that you would say that if we had to put it under the label of a philosophy, that this is what you do with your program? Um, I think my recruiting philosophy so far has been, um, I look at really trying to find the players that have great character for our school. Um, uh, you know, we are a, um, you know, a religious school, so we're a Christian school, so that was a big thing for us. Okay. Um, uh, athletics, so we weigh in really uh, their character, the, their talent level, their skill level, um, their, their competitiveness, the um, you know, energy on the court, energy in their field, energy as far as where they're playing at, um, and really trying to find um, those best type of players. And I think the biggest thing for us was we were looking for good character players um, uh, and had a good head on their shoulders um, in, in whatever they're doing. Uh, that was kind of our recruiting philosophy here. Okay. So uh, the philosophy really, it sounds like, was geared towards the type of player that would fit the, the, the tone and the personality of, of the school, of the college. And and that's fine. Um, and you mentioned that it's a Christian school. You know, somebody listening to this, you know, could replace that with highly academic school mm -hmm. or a small school or a big school or a BCS school or, you know, whatever the, the specificity of the school is, uh, that's interchangeable to what we'll be talking about. I just wanted to mention that to coaches that were, yep. that were listening. So let's dig a little bit deeper then. What, what do you feel like, uh, because you reached out and ask the question of, you know, of, about, you know, what, how do I develop my recruiting philosophy? And I'm just wondering, where do you feel like it's lacking? Um, so you define what you sort of typically went with. You've been asked maybe some deeper questions and you've noticed there's a, there's a gap in between those two things. Can you, can you maybe walk us through what it is that you feel it's lacking or missing the best that you can, the best that you can put yeah. a label onto that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, well, I think originally the, the question came up because, um, you know, the idea of moving between schools and moving to between another position uh, has come up where my recruiting philosophy here um, has been, and the struggle has been, we want, we want players uh, and we want a lot of them. Right. Um, you want the numbers, right. Which yeah. is not untypical for, for a, a, you know, as private, you know, tuition driven school. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we, I've gone between, all right, I want to focus on recruiting uh, my top level players and uh, really focusing on bringing those athletic, talented, the hardworking, the skilled, uh, and I can't just bring in them because of the way uh, how our scholarships work and how our school works. We need to bring in a lot more numbers and almost triple the size of a normal team, um, really, to get those other players. Um, so I can't just focus on, all right, this is the exact type of player I need. I also need almost everyone else at the same time. So 
pick, picking and choosing as far as athletics go for us uh, has been, you know, kind of tough, uh, which runs me into the problem of some of the players we're getting in aren't as skilled and ta- athletically talented where they should be at in college. Um, and some are watching me pulling these recruits, pulling these players going, coach, what are you doing? Right. Um, right. So it's kind of, kind of difficult to relay really what the school's philosophy is as far as, you know, retention and, and, and numbers to making sure I get the right team uh, and also keep the players who are my stronger ones happy and, and athletically going and, and learning and, and retaining them as well. Right. Okay. So perfect. This is a great way to start. And, and I think you've identified something that uh, maybe even accidentally that I think is really at the start of this process of any coach developing their recruiting philosophy. And it starts with the fact that you're employed by the college and in the athletic department and your job there is to create the best possible team. And you've added some other things to that. You know, in your college's case right now, they want the numbers. Yep. So your roster has to be a little bit larger than maybe if uh, if you were at a, a BCS school where they're going to have a roster limit. And and I think that's the first thing. Step number one to, re- to developing your recruiting philosophy is asking yourself or defining what is my college asking me to do? Because you work for them yep. and it's their program and they have their needs and you're an employee of the school. All those things put you under that college and that athletic department. And so that would be the first thing. So what I hear you saying right now, if we're going to ask uh, that question and then try to answer it, is they're asking for numbers. They're asking to probably not just hit your numbers because it's important to the school, but exceed what the normal roster size limit is or the normal roster size for your sport at a typical school. Um, And and, a lot of coaches are, are being asked to do that. And you might coach at another school in the future that doesn't ask you to do that. I think the thing that is is once you enter this this uh, step number one, which is what is my college asking me to do? Um, asking yourself why are they asking me to do it? And that's important because if it's something that doesn't match up with with what you with what you want and with where your your goals, your ethics are, um, you know, are lined up, then I think you have to have a serious conversation with yourself. Is that the right school for me? So I'll give you some examples that um, we have a division one client who uh, used to coach at a school where the athletic director and directors said mm-hmm. that um the requirement we have for you here is that you over recruit and you over promise scholarships. And, um, when somebody, uh, comes, it's very likely that then they, uh, you know, we're going to have to make a a switch at some point or even after they commit before they get to the school, they, uh, we may have to take their scholarship away, but we want the best athletes. And that's our philosophy that they, they, they worked around. Well, for this coach, he didn't feel comfortable doing that. So it meant that he needed to change. And I think this is an important process because step number one is asking, um, okay, what is my employer, what is my department asking me to do? Step number two, I would say, is why are they asking me to do it? Now, for you, where I think you can, you know, I'm going to insert my own morals here on, on you, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
so why are they asking me to do it? Well, they're asking me to do it because the school needs the tuition dollars. The school is using athletics to fund fund enrollment, and that happens across the country at, I would say, at most schools. So is it something that's unethical? No, it's the way that we do things. Now, if that is, you know, something that, that um, you're feeling like, wow, as a coach, I've got to recruit these players, they're going to show up, they're going to see, you know, you know, a, a big percentage increase in our roster size and who you're having to compete with and where they stand on the team than maybe if they had gone to the other college down the road. And so that third step, I would say, is how am I going to communicate my philosophy to the people in our program and in our department? Yes. Okay. So, so that sort of completes that little circle to start this process. If we're asking, how am I going to communicate it? That's really you telling your team and even your prospects, but especially when they show up and it's, it's fall or whenever the start of your season is, and they're, the realization is coming on them like, wow, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of competitors out here. There's a lot of student athletes on this team. I think it's incredibly important that you explain why that is and how then it's going to work when it comes to who starts, who travels, it, it, you know, there's a lot of programs that will have a, you know, a varsity and then also a JV team. And how do we look and how do we define what that JV program is um, to the people that are going to be on it? And I think you're going to have more and more smaller, medium-sized schools, especially private schools that are going to incorporate those because it's another way to generate numbers for the, the school and uh, and the program but as far as how I'm going to stop there because I, I don't want to just give give a list and not have you interact with it. Um, <laughs> we, let's go back to step number two. Why are they asking me to do it? Uh, does that the way that I described in that example does that sort of fit the um, does that fit the 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 tone of uh, of what you would say to to yourself when you're when you're sort of self reflecting? Why are they asking me to get these numbers? Uh, or maybe, maybe as I'm making you think about this, define that for me. What, how, what would you sure. say, you know, for your program without going into details again, <clears throat> where you coach and, and what sport and everything, what, how would you answer that question? Why are they asking me to do it? Well, I think, I think you almost hit it right in the head. Um, you know, we, our school, we're 95% athletic. So we're very heavy athletic driven wow. school. Okay which is also private school. So we're very, very, very enrollment driven. Um, our budgets, our programs, our travel, everything comes off of uh, the amount of students that we have. Um, uh, we come from a, a, also a time where this, the school is actually struggling. Uh, okay. and in, which again is not unusual. As yeah. we, as we, I mean, there's a lot of schools that are, um, that are, you know, that are, are, are in that position where numbers really, really, really matter. Yep. And, and so there's a big, uh, there's a big emphasis from, um, you know, administration that, Hey, we got to hit our numbers. We got to exceed our numbers, uh, triple the size of our numbers. Um, and I think that's, that's the exact reason. It's, it's just, we need to, we need to survive, uh, as a school, we need to thrive, uh, and we need to one, find out the way to, 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 to succeed at this moment uh, and come up with a plan for the future 
Um, and I think our future plan is to really drive different degrees um, and, and non or traditional students uh, at our school. Um, okay. Because if everyone here is getting some type of scholarship, um, then we're not getting anyone at full cost or anything like that. It's just everyone's getting some kind of scholarship. Right. Okay. So great way to answer that question. And I think for a coach listening and for you, coach, it's important to, to understand and buy into what's behind this, this, uh, uh, you know, the things that my program, my department, my campus is asking me to do, because I think it helps then make sure you make it, it helps you make sure you're on the same page with them. If, if the school goes under, if they have to start cutting sports, that does not benefit you as a coach. So yeah. there's something in it for you to also make sure that you're trying to help the department and the school and the campus meet their goals as well. So I think you, for this example, I think you did a great job of, of kind of explaining that back to why, why they're asking you to do what they're asking you to do. Now, Let's go back to step number three. How am I going to communicate it with my program, staff, and team? And let me just say, while you're thinking about that, let me say a little something that uh, that I've seen with coaches. Uh, coaches are great at communicating the athletic side of their program to their players. They struggle when it comes to the non-athletic side of things. So, for instance, um, I'll take it off topic a little bit, but still around the idea of coaches and how they communicate with their team. Um, we'll have a, uh, a coach that will not want to communicate with parents during recruiting and don't really want to develop that relationship with them because then once that athlete comes to campus, they feel like the, the parent is coming along with them and they, you know, the parent is, you know, at practice calling after the games. Why didn't she start? Why isn't he, you know, getting more minutes? You told him this and that has caused coaches to say, well, I just don't want any of that. So I'm not going to even interact yeah. with parents, which we know doesn't work well for outcomes. And that's a, that's another podcast, but, the, but <laughs> you need the parents involvement. So, so we get asked the question a lot. If we're doing a workshop on a campus, especially that'll come up and say, okay, so how do I approach that? What's the fix? How do I get parents to sort of back off? And when we start asking the coaches what they do to, uh, to communicate that to parents in this example, there's practically no communication. Um, they quietly stew about it uh, behind the scenes and never communicate it out to the parents. So in that situation, and we'll, I, I promise we'll, we'll come back here to the main point I want to make with you, but in that situation, we'll say, coach, explain to the parent that, hey, now that your your son is coming here to play, here's your role on the team. And you know, here's what we allow and don't allow. And I've had some coaches even create sort of a, a document that parents will initial at each point. Yep, I understand. I'm not supposed to call, um, you know, playing time question. Mom, dad, if your son has a question about playing time, um, I can't take a call from you. If he calls you and complains, tell him, go to your coach and have a meeting because I want to meet with all my players. So, getting the parents in that case on your side and and using the program that you want to implement with with how you communicate with the team and how that's going to benefit them uh, their, their son in this case down the road that's what you want to do yep. is communication so that fixes everything so you've mentioned some things where the gaps are with um you know for instance roster size and and 
the recruiting philosophy behind it. So what, uh, how are you going to communicate that? Or how would you imagine be communicating that with your team? So again, fall starts, they show up. Wow, there's a lot of guys here that I didn't expect to be competing with. And, and so, or even I'm going to take a visit and I watch practice and there's way more guys than I thought there was going to be on the team. How do you, what would you want to communicate or what do you feel? And I'm putting you on the spot, but what, what sure. is the type of thing that you feel could be communicated as to why they're doing that? And if you're talking to the athlete, why is it a positive for them? Even if it's in the face, it looks like a negative. What, what is the thing that they should want from that? And that's another big thing that we're always trying to have coaches do is when you're talking to an athlete, explain whatever you're, whatever you're trying to, to showcase about your program, explain to them what's in it for them. What is the thing that they should want about what you're describing? So when it comes to, for instance, let's say this, this idea of roster size, that you're going to have to recruit more athletes because that's what your program wants. What are some things you feel like you could communicate in a positive way to the team and your prospects about the larger than normal numbers on the roster? Well, I think the first thing I start to communicate about you know, our larger roster size is one, I, I try to create this competitive attitude and competitive uh, atmosphere here uh, where you're constantly competing, constantly going uh, and driving yourself to get better and better. Um, if you get to a spot where you think you've finally made it, hey, I made it to college or I made it to that team, I made it to the varsity team, and then start to slack off, your spots can be taken up. Um, and we have to be, as athletes, we have to be that competitive. We have to drive ourselves to, to learn, to have that growth mindset, to, to continue going on for it. Um, the other thing we try to communicate about our roster size is one, uh, or is the other one is, is we have a, uh, we have a varsity, we have a JV team, and we're going to be getting a, a freshman team as well. So we almost have three teams for one sport, uh, which gives them still chances to compete, still a schedule. They get it. They, they, they're playing college sports. They're a chance that a lot of players don't get to have. Um, so we're giving them that. It's not, and, and we try to get away from, all right, you are this top team. We are a second team. We're a freshman team. Uh, and, hey, we're all one group. We're all one team. We've got to focus at, at how to compete in one for that our, our varsity record, but also we, we want to get you guys playing time, get you guys playing time to help grow you in that sport, help get you to the level we need to be at, also help show you what level we should be at right. uh, for it. Okay, Coach, you're good. So that, that, <laughs> those are two great points. So the first one was all about that we are creating a culture of competitiveness, that we don't want guys or, and I'm, I'm using that in, you know, because mm -hmm. we're naming your sports. So I'm just sort of, I'm flipping between uh, male and female sports, but we're, we are not recruiting a bunch of guys to come here and just sit back and not compete. We're creating a culture of competitiveness. So you're always getting pushed. And, and we do that by also having a JV and a freshman team. And we don't look at those as our subpar teams, but we look at those as, almost like the developmental or the minor leagues that are going to come up and, and now, you know, push, you know, for spots on the varsity roster. Yep. And, but so you're, you did a great job of taking something that on the surface could be viewed as a negative by the prospect and sticking with the philosophy that you're developing for recruiting and, and keeping with the mission of, of numbers and enrollment for the college. You're now positioning that as a positive. And I would even go a step further to say if 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 we 
are talking to an athlete, or if you're an athlete that is just looking for a spot and there's no competition and they just want to kick back and relax, this is not going to be a good place for you because we want to make you better. And the thing that I found as a coach in my sport is that competition makes you better. And I always want you to get pushed because also, hey, mom, dad, that's what's going to happen out in the real world to your daughter who's coming in and uh, you know, and into an industry, I don't want her to feel like she's entitled to anything. I, we're, we're, we're graduating student athletes here who have grown up competing because that's what the real world is going to, to be throwing at them. So, I mean, I think that is a great, great message to be sending. Again, if, if you have a kid say, no, that's not for me, you may have also just dodged a bullet there because are they the kid that's going to show up and not want to work out and not want to compete and just feel entitled? Most mm-hmm. college coaches don't want to have that kind of athlete on their team. And so that might be another way to, to weed, uh, to, um, to weed them out. And as far as your second point, could you repeat, could you just summarize that again, uh, just for the people listening that what that, that second point was. Uh, we want to, we want to have that, uh, as far as the, uh, second team, third team. Well, as far as uh, we talked about the um, the the fact that you're going to have multiple levels, and then you raised a second point that uh, had to do sort of with again the overall message that you would send to to the prospects. Um, well, we talked about that second, the overall, the the three different teams, but to create right. that competitive competitiveness, but also to to constant drive and constant growth mindset for everything. Um, right. We're all one group, all one team, um, and we focus at, you know, even if I'm on the freshman team, I can still make my way up. Um, I can still lose my spot as a varsity team, but our, we're all one record, all one team, all one focus on, on bringing one unified uh, group into it. Right. Um, and so, again, those, those two things go together, and, and whatever point you're bringing out, if you're a coach that's listening to this, and for you, coach, as we're talking – you always have to, to answer the question, be very intentional about saying, here's why you should want that. As an athlete, mm-hmm. as parents of an athlete, here's why that should be something you should be looking for. And because a lot of the points that you are that you may have to bring up may not be things on the surface that they are going to view as, as, as good or yeah. as what they've been looking for or what their club or high school coach has been telling them they should be looking for over the last, you know, uh, you know, last several years. So I think that's, that's really good. Uh, the next question. So that's the first three. So again, just as a review, step number one in, in sort of building a recruiting philosophy, what's my college asking me to do? Number two, what are they, uh, why are they asking me to do it? Number three, how am I going to communicate that with my program, my staff, my team, my prospects? You, we just talked about that. Number four is, is this question I would have you think about and every coach think about? Because we just we sort of just set the foundation with the first three. This next one yep. starts to look towards the future, which it really gets into maybe what you're defining as the recruiting philosophy. What is the next goal I want to reach with my program? And what I, here's what I mean by that. The first three questions were all about what where what is the lay of the land? What are the things that my school requires? They need me to do. I got to set up a way to communicate that. Okay, we've set the foundation of where I am, where I coach, what the needs are, what the requirements are, and how I'm going to communicate that. And now I want to get a little introspective when it comes to you as the coach and developing your program. 
what is the next goal I want to reach with my program? So that involves every coach saying, here's where I'm at. And however you want to define that, that's good. Um, you might, I mean, there's coaches out there, they're a new coach. They are starting a, a you know, basically taking over a program. It's, it's their brand new program. And I think it's really important to say, here's where this program is at from a record standpoint or personality or development. And here's the next step of where it needs to go. So I would want it to be a measurable thing that you could say over this next year or two years, whatever the time span, I want to go from here and I want to go to a point where I can say, okay, now we've reached this goal. I look back and say, yep, we're better, or we've moved it along or whatever, whatever that definition is could be, again, a record, a number, or it could be just the personality and work ethic of a team, whatever it is. Yep. Um, what is the next goal you would want to reach with your program? And again, to to keep the anonymity intact, coach, just, yeah. <laughs> um, don't get too specific, but get specific enough where it would mean something to you. Yep. Um, I think uh, I think this is easy for me uh, right now because one, I have two two big goals for us. Um, first one is um, we got to increase our roster size. I want to okay. get to uh, fifty. 55 players, which is a lot larger than what I should be. Mm -hmm. um, but that also gives me, you know, three different teams, opportunities for girls to play, uh, right. opportunities for me to mentor players. Um, so that's kind of why I look school at number one of the school, which keeps you employed and they're happy. And so that, yep. counts. that counts. Um, and my number two goal that I want to see is, is, is increase in our, our record, you know, get, uh, we've struggled and struggled and struggled since I've gotten here. Uh, but also every year I've looked at it going, oh, I've got to change my recruiting philosophy. I got to change what my goal is because it's not, I'm not succeeding in what I'm doing. Um, there's always a, and the way I think, see it is there's always a chance to win. There's always a chance to strategize. There's always, whatever we're doing. Um, if it's recruiting, there's a chance to succeed in recruiting it at this school, no matter what circumstances are coming at us. So these are certain, uh, the, the roster size and all those things are, are, are coming back at us. Uh, uh, and making it tougher to get our top team that we wanted to. So I've changed my recruiting to say, I want to get 50, 50, 55 players. Um, and my second goal is I want to get, I want to be back up above 500 again. I want to get our team to start getting that spot and start being competitive in conference. Um, right. Because we're looked at as a school going, well, it's just that school. We right. don't need to worry about it. Right. Okay. And which, which, by the way, is if you're not winning the conference, then that's what most schools, they fall into that classification. So yep. plenty of company on that side. Okay. So that's a very defined goal. And, you know, I don't know how you, uh, you know, if you, if you write stuff down or, or how sort of you view as, you know, your goals, different, different coaches have different philosophies on how they reach goals. I am a huge believer in writing down or you know, printing out those goals and yep. having it somewhere that you see it on a daily basis, maybe even multiple times a day, yep. you know, on your laptop, uh, on the bulletin board, you know, somewhere where you're reminding yourself of what the standard is. And because I think that, that especially in a coaching life, you get so distracted. There's so many twists and turns during the year and it's so it's so easy to get off track that it is that little mental reminder of here's what we're trying to do with this program. Uh, and so I would say, write that down, but those are defined yep. goals that work for you. That's fantastic. Um, so then we go to step five. 
that I would ask or have a coach ask themselves now, what is the right mix? When it comes to my incoming roster, what's the right mix between meeting the college's needs and what my goals are? And here's what I mean by that. The college's needs are numbers in your case, right? So the college's needs, and you actually went into it in your previous answer, that goal of 50 on your roster is, is meeting the needs of the, of the school. Yep. So, and again, you work for them. It's appropriate that you meet their needs first because that you're, you're working for a larger entity. And uh, it's not just all about you. It's about the college. And it's about making the athletic director feel like, okay, good. That coach you know, is doing what we're asking them to do. But there's also this mix then of, and this is where a lot, it breaks down for a lot of coaches because I have talked to a lot of coaches that are, have similar uh, requirements that you're expressing. And they're saying, you know, all they want me to do is recruit numbers and I can't win with that. Yep. Okay, fair, fair enough. So what is that right mix between getting the numbers, but also achieving and bringing kids in that are going to achieve what my goals are, which usually for a coach is related to performance and standings and how are we going to build the, the level and prestige and, and record of the program. Now, that, that right mix, the reason I kind of leave that as a as a open-ended uh, thought is that could be numerically. What how, So if we're taking 50, how does that break down? Uh, that means that um, I need to recruit an incoming class. I'm just going to randomly throw out a number. Let's just say 15 in a year. Um, well, actually, you give me your number. What, what would be the goal for this upcoming year as we talk now of the you know, recruiting and bringing in and securing your class of 2020. What What is the number of total athletes that you think you need to achieve that uh, that that goal of doing what the college is asking you to do? Sure. Well, I, I'm in a, a smaller sport, so I think our goal was about 20, uh, mm -hmm. 15 to 20 players. Uh, and that was a mix between uh, all the teams, uh, um, which gave me you know, my top players, um, and they gave me my secondary players and third, right. third players. Um, so 15 in the incoming class. Yeah, 15 in the incoming class, because that's going to also, with our larger size, we also drop players a lot. Sure, um, sure. So we, we have players lose. So we, we incorporate, you know, we're going to lose this many players. We need to double that. So we need to be at really 20, um, because we're going to lose almost five, six a year. Right. Um, from you know different players, just either academically or um, change of you know change of thoughts of what they sure, want. Sure. Um, so we have to overcome right, that one, and then right. and then get our other ones in too. Okay. So the number you said then is fifteen, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. So uh, by if you look at at the needs of the school versus what you know you need when it comes to the the, the talent level that you need to put on the court, on the field, in the pool, whatever your sport is, as you're listening to this, what do you feel that mix is? In other words, I could take X number yeah. of kids that are just sort of they're developmental and they're going to meet the needs of the school, but I really need X or I'm sorry, Y number of kids to, to get, to be that upper level range where I know that they're going to be able to compete right away and, and get us to where we need to be. What do you think for you, that that mixes. I think, I think right now it's it's a lot higher 
So we'd probably go towards 20 and have maybe three, five, four or five players that are our top ones that we look at. Um, okay. Normally, we'd be 15 to 20 players recruiting-wise, uh, and we're going to look at maybe three, you know, two to three players as far as, as, far as I want. Um, and then the rest are almost 75%. The rest, uh, uh, other players where um, they can help me get my other players, they can help me retain my numbers, uh, and help me, you know, fill in different roles as far as on the on the team and everything. Right. Okay. So so let's just roughly say to make the math easy that you need uh, you're going to need five sort of solid difference maker players or the ones that can step in right away, and ten that are going to be more on the numbers developmental side. I think the next question then to ask is where do I find each of these, each group of these athletes? So that could be geographically, that could be um, from a, um, uh, you know, a, a breakdown of, of um, you know, talent level, the clubs, the, the high schools that you go to, um, but asking that question, where do I find each group of athletes is important because, for instance, I know how some coaches would, would do it is we're going to find our top five out of these four club teams that always consistently turn out good players. And geographically, it works. They have kids that have come here. They've all been good. I know the coach, whatever, whatever that, that good pipeline has been to develop. That's what I would want. Um, you know, I would say that those those kids need to need to come from. Whereas, for instance, the developmental kids, those might be the kids that you get from a recruiting service, or that yep. you get from even admissions helping. Hey, they check the box that they play your sport. Could they come talk to you, coach? Yeah, okay. That's that might be one of those kids. And I think it's important for coaches to to segment out. Uh, and you may even, I, we, I just divided it into two groups for some coaches that are listening. You might need three or four different types of players. That's fine. Where do you go get them? Where are they going to come from? And where are you going to go look to uh, to, to go scout them or, or find them? Really important question because, you know, we're talking about a recruiting philosophy. Um, and philosophies are great. They're sort of the guiding, you know, uh, map of, of what we actually end up doing, but there needs to be the doing part. And so if the, if the recruiting philosophy doesn't match what is actually capable of being done, then, uh, um, then I don't think it works. For example, let's just say you're an East coast school, you're, you're listening to this podcast and you're at an East coast school and in answering this question, you're saying, you know what, in my sport, all the great players come from California. So I need most of my athletes to come from California. Okay. Fair enough, coach. You're, I, I trust any coach analyzing how they, how they put that together. Do you have the budget to go to California several times a year? Yes. No. Oh, it's no. Okay. Then we can't do that. So the recruiting philosophy is great if it works within the confines of, uh, you know, of, of what you're actually able to do. And again, you know, that's why those first three questions that I asked and we kind of use as what we're calling the foundation of developing a philosophy. It's because if, if an idea or a wish or a philosophy doesn't match the capabilities of the program, then it's not practical and it's not going to yeah. work there. So the philosophy 
you know, your next job coach, their philosophy probably is going to change because the school's going to change their needs. Your needs are going to change the conference changes. And so everybody has to reevaluate this with the situation that, uh, that they're in and the budget changes too. So going back to this question. So where do I find each one of those two groups? And you define your needs as in these two groups, what would you say just off the top of your head and for anybody listening to you, we haven't gone over any of this. This is not, we're not going through a, uh, a rehearsed conversation. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot just yeah. so, uh, and you've been doing great with it so far. So what would you say, let's, let's take each group at a time. So these top five kids, where would you imagine or say they should be coming from, or where would you say the priority is to, to find that group that are going to be the difference makers for you? Um, I think for those top five, my first thing we look at is, is, is biggest thing is distance. Uh, I, you know, overcoming distance is, is a little bit difficult for us. Okay. Um, but we also look at, you know, where our, our sport meccas are, right? Where they, okay. where they really solid players are coming from. Um, because we do, I mean, I do look at certain, uh, certain, um, clubs and certain, um, schools and, and where they're, where they're really thriving at. Uh, to try and find those players. Um, but our first is you know, first thing we look at is distance. Uh, our second thing is is uh, is um, you know level of play at those areas and level of play that they're playing on. Um, uh, I think those two are are big for us because um, okay. it, it then goes into you know you know degrees and things like that right, um, right, and what right. their wants are. Um, uh, those are those are really what we look at for that. For our top players, um, okay. For our secondary players, um, it really is distance, because um, if we can keep them in state, uh, it, it's a lot easier for us, um, okay. just because of uh, you know because they aren't getting as much uh, scholarship money. Uh, so they're we gotta look at are they getting athletic or are they getting um, uh, academic? Are they getting state scholarship? What else are they bringing in? that can help us get that type of player. I've got more more ability to get that player if they're getting more funds from other places. Right, right, okay. Okay, so that, that breaks it down. And once you have this, I would say we've gone over six things so far. Yep. For any coach that's listening to this, you know, after these six, I would say, you call a timeout and say, okay, from we've defined what the school needs, what we want, where we're going to go find these athletes, uh, and, and also the percentage of the type of athletes we need. Okay, time out. What changes do we need to make with our staff responsibilities or our schedule or our budget where we're allocating money? What's, what changes do we need to make to achieve these first six things that we've outlined? Really, really important because I don't want it to get if, if you stop and you're starting to go through, let's say, staff responsibilities or budgets, or you realize that, hey, I only have it's just me and an assistant coach and we can't do all this. The, the, the two of us just can't do all this. Or maybe our budget won't allow for whatever, you know, something that we just talked about going more out of state. Regroup and go back and you have to change that philosophy. So, again, yeah. the recruiting philosophy is not something that is yours internally and you're just going to cram it into, you know, whatever square, uh, you know, hole that you, that you happen to, to coach at. 
you have to adapt to to the realities of that coaching job and make it work there. And when because when you learn to do that, then the next job that you have at the next level up or the next school, a different situation, you're able to start right back and and recreate that recruiting philosophy again and make it apply to that school. And that is a skill set that most coaches don't have. They have their vision of what they want, and it never matches up with the realities of where they're happen to where they happen to coach at. And so that's why I think this process is so important. Okay, so you called the timeout. You've made any adjustments. Number seven, I think, is now because now we get into the actual recruiting part of all this, the the communication side. I think a question to ask is, what can I commit to? when it comes to communication with each one of these groups, because recruiting is, is communication. Recruiting is marketing and sales and talking to parents, talking to athletes. Um, it's not just going to watch them. That's, that's more on the scouting side, but on the recruiting side, this is, it's communication. So what can I commit to when it comes to communication with each group? And I'm really talking about time. That And for anybody listening, and I'll repeat maybe a couple things that either you've heard us say in a workshop that we've done that on your campus, or if you're a client, you know this is something that we really stress, that our research shows that when we ask an athlete, the group of athletes, what is it that you want from coaches uh, and, and how often do you want it? What they come back and say and have very consistently said for the last seven or eight years is we want from the coaches we want communication that talks about why we should come and play for them and why they are better than our other choices out there now that can get into of course selling points at the school but we're really trying to make the case they're really trying to decide through the communication why are you better and that's a core message that needs to go out and when we ask them how often the right mix for them and this is data now that goes back 12 or 13 years that really hasn't changed very much. They feel like the right mix is about every six to nine days. They over an extended period of time. So from the time you see them at the tournament, start communicating until the time they either sign their letter of intent or show up for class on campus. They want something every six to nine days from a coach that said that answers one of those two questions and and justifies it by explaining something about their program, the school, the degree, uh, justifying why they should make that decision. Yeah. All right. So I say that some coaches would look and say, Dan, I just can't do every six to nine days. And it makes sense to me. I just can't do it. So, so that's the standard. If that, if you can't meet that standard, what could you commit to? Is that every 10 to 14 days? So that's the question that now I'm, I'm going to throw over to you is what could you commit to when it comes to communicating with each group of kids? Yeah. Yeah. Um, difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think it's difficult. One, um, I, I coach multiple, multiple teams, not just one, not just two. Right. I coach multiple mm-hmm. teams, almost three to four teams. Right. Um, I also, um, you know, both all those teams also run the same thing. So we're having triple the size of every player. Uh, and it's just me and one other staff member. Um, so we try to divvy it up, uh, and say, I look at almost every two weeks to a month at this point right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so here's what, here's what, let me jump in. Let me, here's what I would encourage you to do because I, I need to maybe define communication. This is outbound communication from you to them. 
Yep. So this does not necessarily mean phone calls or text message conversations or a handwritten letter to all, you know, how many ever hundreds of, of kids you may have on your list to get the to get with the number that you need at the end. Yep. I'm so this could be and should be something that is one message that goes out to all the recruits. Now, again, this is probably a separate podcast and we talk, we, when we, when we come onto campuses, this is a, a big part of what we try to teach is when you, so you, let's just say you have 200 names on your list that you're, that you're sending something out to, and we're asking you to do that on a regular basis. That should be one message going out to everybody from the really, your top number one kid on your list to the, um, to the kid that you found on the recruiting service that is in your region and might be a good developmental kid. They all need to be convinced to come there. They yeah. all need the same thing at that point, which is why should I go to your school, play for your program, and how are you better? So they all need that. Across the span, they need that. I would suggest and recommend to a coach in executing this philosophy, which involves the message, I would involve or suggest that you sit down and you pick a topic of, of something that you know, and let's just say benefits of a small school because you happen to coach at a smaller school. Why should they want to go to a smaller school? Start a conversation about that and write a message that's short, direct, to the point that might begin to say, here's why you should want to come to our school and list then two or three things about the school that, that your, your kids on your teams tend to love about the school. And then stop, and then whatever it is, six to nine days, 10 to 14 days, whatever you can commit to, pick up where you left off. Mass message, but I would want you to write it, and this is the big key, I would want you to write it to one person in mind. In other words, I don't want you to write it, and it sounds so flowery and with so much great, you know, big words and language that it seems impersonal and sort of like a mass a mass mail letter, yeah. uh, which kids are very good at picking out because uh, as we explained to coaches, how have they grown up communicating with each other via text message? And if you go glance at your phone at your text messages back and forth with people, are they long drawn out, very formal, you know, conversations, you know, broken up into, you know, five paragraphs, the introduction, three main points in the summary, like we all learned to write in school. No, it's, it's sort of, there's some run-on sentences, you go off on tangents, You some might be a little shorter, a little longer. That's what I would want your messages to look like because overall, I want that message to be received and seen by all 200 kids. Yep. And they look at it, all of them, and say, wow, coach took some time and wrote me. That sounds like he wrote it just to me. And because they're gonna take in the message more, they're gonna read the next message more. Yep. And uh, and that's what makes it, yeah, I think easier. So that message is not 200 individual messages that's sitting down and writing one message out to one uh, uh, as if it's going to one athlete, and um, you know, and and then sending it to to everybody. So so if you were going to sit down, my next question for you, as sort of a subset of question number seven, what are you going to commit to when it comes to communicating with each group? What is it that you could commit to from a time standpoint once a week to to do that? In other words, if you're going to sit down some at some point during the week, sit down and write a message, 
how long do you have to do that? What what would you what could you commit to from a time standpoint to get this project that we're suggesting you do done? Um, with that, I think just as far as a, just a message like that goes, I think we could commit you know at least uh, uh, an hour or two. Okay, um, a week I'll take an hour. Like that. Yeah, an hour. In fact, in fact, I would limit it to an hour. I might even go shorter because the longer you give yourself, what you're going to end up doing is going back and editing. And and re gotcha. you know making it making it better, um, making it oh I, I know this other word for that and you know because a lot of coaches I mean you have your master's degrees and you like to show that off and a lot of you are really you, you write beautiful stuff and it's just that when you write the beautiful stuff the kids don't look at it as genuine and they don't communicate with you so I needed to sound just more direct more simple straight to the point. And we're taking this topic as an example of why should they want to come and play at a small school? What's the benefit of that? Make the case and don't feel like you have to do it all in one message. Break it up. So a little bit here and then the next week they're going to get a little more and the next week a little more. And so it builds on each other. And just like in an ongoing conversation, you're going to be more apt to come back to the conversation if it's a continuation and you want to know more about what you were talking about. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So I want them to get the feeling like you had a little bit of extra time in your day. You sat down and wrote them a quick message. If it can generate that feel, I think that you're going to have a really strong response. The problem then becomes, and many of our clients know this, that the problem becomes when you execute it that way, you get a lot better response. And that means that you're going to spend more time on the back end to uh, to to actually communicate and talk and get to know all of these, all of these yeah. athletes. So, um, so anyway, the, from a commitment to a communication in your example, you said an hour, I would say block that time out. That becomes something where it's a non-negotiable, put it in your schedule. If that's from 11 PM to midnight on Tuesdays, do it. If that's from 6 AM to 7 AM on, on Thursdays, do it. So that's not important. It's just, it deserves a dedicated block. And it needs to be scheduled repeatedly uh, whenever you know it's going to be convenient so that you can so that you can um, you can do that. Okay. Okay. So as you're having now this communication, I think it's really important to establish two things, a clear timeline for what you want to get done in the process and establishing. So I guess this is probably number eight and number nine. So number eight. Uh, in this step is what is my timeline that I want kids to follow during this process from the point I get to them and from the point it ends, when is that? And then number nine is when do we define the end of the process for the athlete? When do we define the end of the, the process? So the, I'll let me go back to question eight and have you think about this. The, the question is, what is the timeline we want our recruits to follow? And maybe, again, without, because you know, I'm putting you on the spot, give me a general timeline that would work best for you. Because somebody has to control the timeline. It's either going to be you, coach, or it's going to be the athlete. And I know how it goes when the athletes control the timeline. It's not much fun. And they don't know what they're doing, and it never works out well for the coaches. So what is it? from your standpoint, that would be a good timeline to follow. Just give me a rough guess or a rough, rough feedback uh, as best you can uh, on all that. Um, 
I think our beginning is really once we make contact um, is as soon as possible get you know we require the our questionnaire filled out um, okay. so I think as soon as possible for that one uh, and then after that system goes um, we we look at reevaluating within the first um, uh, you know month or two um, what kind of athlete they are right away um, making them put on a priority list of, of what okay. you know they are uh, and then focusing on the next couple months or if they depending on what year they are uh, of where getting a, a, a solid uh, evaluation for them um, we we really like to try to get them on campus um, right. and get it on on campus evaluation as fast as possible for those players okay. so so two things as you mentioned two things that that and by the way the more that you can expand or give detail to that timeline it's good visually as you're listening to this i want you to think of i want to put everything on a linear timeline so it should go from from left to right if you're looking at a whiteboard or a sheet of paper put a little dash where the start of the process is and then you know make it end at some point and what gets filled in that's a priority for you during that time because once you put it on a timeline like that and that could be, I mean, for some sports, it's a, well, some of our Division One schools now with their new September 1st contact deadline for juniors, we're working with several programs where the whole recruiting process is going to be 60 days, and then they're going to be done in their sport. For others, it could go 24 months. And so whatever that time span is, I think it's important to list it and create a strategy around, around that, because in... You know, you may have you may coach a sport where there's a certain point total you have to reach and then the game is over. There's another one where it's timed or it's over the course of a day, all the events add up and there's an, an end winner. Whatever that whatever your sport is, you have a definition of you have some sort of timeline you're working within to determine did I win, did I lose? I think the same thing needs to be at play for recruiting. So that timeline that you mentioned, you know, as you expand on it and think about it, okay, when does it start? When do I, when's it going to end? Which we'll get to in a second. And what goes in the middle? What are the things that we need to have happen? Yeah. Two quick side notes. You mentioned the questionnaire on the campus visit. I would not, and this is based on feedback from athletes, I would not ask them to complete the questionnaire as one of their first tasks because okay. first of all, nobody likes, I don't like filling out forms. The kids certainly don't like filling stuff out and they're not used to that. And so when we ask them to do that right away, that's a pretty big task. When truthfully, you know what, coach, I don't even know if I've never heard of your school before and I don't know if I want to go there. So why am I going to commit the time to do that? So I think it could be, and that's, you know, that statement covers 95% of all colleges. Yep. I'm not sure I want to go there. So I don't want to fill out the form yet, um, especially if I'm the better athlete. So I think that might be the third or fourth thing we ask them to do. Wait a little bit. So develop a little bit of the rapport and communication ahead of time and then ask them to do that. I think they'll have more buy-in to do that as well. Okay. The campus visit, um, there has to be a reason for them to come to campus. And I understand every coach, every single coach, wants them to come to campus as soon as possible because number one, it's an indicator that they're interested. Number two, you get to show them all the great things about the campus. Every coach feels the same way. Um, I would say proportionally, the sooner you start asking for the campus visit, which that could be as soon as the first phone call, 
hey, we saw you, we like you, we want you to come to campus. So the, that's the extreme. The sooner, proportionally, the closer it is to the first point of contact, the less chance you have of getting them to come to campus. So if I know that to be true, then I'm probably gonna wait again. So if it's gonna take three or four conversations before I ask them to fill out the questionnaire. I might go to number conversation number five, six, or seven to ask them about or bring up the idea of coming to campus. But I need a driver for getting them to campus. And the two biggest drivers are number one, uh, this is from the parents and the athletes standpoint, because we ask them, what gets you to campus? Well, number one, if I if we're getting recruited or we feel like we're getting recruited by the head coach and they know who we are, that's a big plus. Number two, is there an offer or is there some sort of definition of money or or even a roster spot? In other words, it's not just, hey, come check us out and see if you like us. There has to be a reason. What's in it for me to come to campus? Uh, oh, you're going to talk about my scholarship there? Okay, that's a good reason to come. Or you already gave me the offer. That's a reason to come. Yeah. And that's uh, that's something that that I think is is really important for uh, for you to define. Yeah, I think um, the more the more we talk about this, more look at this timeline, the more we we see what we didn't have. We didn't have a timeline. We were just constant, constant trying to recruit, constant pull people in. Uh, and try to get them questionnaire and, and, and visit as fast as possible because that was our that was our thought process here, you know. And and because the amount of players that we're trying to go through, the amount of players we're trying to recruit, the amount of players we're talking to, we kind of just try to streamline as fast as possible with a lot of these things instead of focusing on the players and focusing on who they are, what they want, and and the, them really. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so that timeline, that's how we've defined it. Yeah. Question nine, when do we tell them the end of the process is? And this is the thing that probably generates the most uh, nervousness and, um, and frustration with coaches because what do we all hate as coaches? We hate it when they have their offer, they know we want them and they just keep going. Coach, there's just one more school I want to go look at or they stopped returning our text messages and we really need them so we don't press them. Um, I am a huge believer in, in having a defined end to the process. And if you think about this whole topic of recruiting philosophy and if this is, we started at the beginning, which is what's my college asking me to do? And now we're at step number nine. When is the end of the process? Coach, there has to be an end to the process, especially if you've committed to over a, a um, well, how, how long do you usually recruit athletes? How many, what's your timeline? How, how long does that timeline typically go? Um, we tend to look at probably about four or five months on okay. a recruit, okay. mainly so because just, that yeah. end. Sure, sure. Okay, so let's say it's a four to five or four or five, six month process. The thing that uh, the thing that 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 they need is they need to understand that at the, the end of the fifth month, it comes to an end. And the sooner that you define that, in other words, at the beginning of the process, start communicating with them that you're not going to pressure them. 
You're going to give them plenty of time to make a decision, but that recruiting is going to wrap up for you when, um, you know, at, around X, whatever that is, that, yep. you know, that part of the year, a certain month, however it works, that's what, that that's when it comes to an end and be true to that. And there's a whole separate podcast and I think multiple podcasts we've done on that, that you can go back and listen to in the library. So I'm not going to get into all the mechanics of that, but the, it, it's it's desperately needed from coaches. They need to define when the end is and to communicate that. Because I will say this, let's say you've gone through six months of communication. You devoted that hour a day. You, they get a message every week from you that sounds real, that is about the school, why they should go there. You've made your case. They filled out the questionnaire. They've been to campus. You've watched them play. Um, they've applied all these things in the timeline and now we're at the end and they knew six months ago five months ago that they were going to have to make their decision then because you were honest with them and told them that as part of your philosophy and now it's the end and if their response is coach you know i'm I'm still not quite sure uh just i think i'm going to still go visit one more one or two more schools or there's there's this other school you know the higher conference or division level that just contacted me and my dad really wants me to go there my response that I would encourage you to employ as part of a core part of your philosophy is, hey, um, Sarah, Josh, I wish I could give you that time. I, I wish you had more time. But like I told you five months ago, we're, we're wrapping up our process and I, I got to know if you if you want to be here or not. Oh, but coach, I think I do, but I just, I'm just not quite sure yet. Okay, so the, what you're saying then is it's no. Is that basically what you're saying? Well, no, it's not no. Because I think I might, and they'll try to drag it on. Yep. If, but if you can, you know, basically say we're done. So what you're telling me is no. If you can get them to say, well, coach, then yeah, I guess if you needed a decision right now, yeah, I, I couldn't commit to come play for your program. I think your response would be, should be, I appreciate that. I love the, you know, everything we got to talk about. I think you're going to do great somewhere. I'm sorry I can't be here and let me know where you end up going. And you walk away because, number one, what more are we going to tell them about the school? And is more time really going to fix it? And you and, I mean, coaches that are listening, ask yourself that question. All the kids that you gave more time to, what percent of them actually came through and committed that were those next level players that you wanted? And the number is usually pretty low. I usually have a coach respond with, well, there was that one time four years ago when, okay, well, that's, that's not a recruiting strategy. (laughs) That's not a philosophy that's going to build a winner is to get the one kid every three or four years because you're losing a lot of kids uh, multiple times. And so I, I want you, as a part of your recruiting philosophy, is you set your vision up to where you want the program to be and where you want it to be elevated to. I think it starts with a perception that you're not the backup school. And in your sport and a lot of other sports around the country, high school coaches, club coaches, behind the scenes, they're saying, oh, school X, you know, nice school. I, I like the coach. He's a good guy. But, you know, you can do better. So if it doesn't work out anywhere else, you can always go play for them because they'll wait forever. I don't want that to be the message when it comes to your program and your school. And what, what fixes that? The only thing we've seen fix it is when fix that situation is when coaches walk away, when coaches walk away, then it sends a message that you're not the backup school anymore. And we weren't going to get that athlete anyway. So you're not really hurting yourself. 
but you're helping yourself as a part of this philosophy that I would encourage you to to, to be a part uh, to to make make it part of your philosophy. Sorry, yep. that begins to turn the the direction of the ship. That begins to change the perception out in the marketplace that you aren't going to be the backup school anymore. And I I wish every coach would put that as a part of their philosophy because the coaches who have know what a valuable re- resource that uh, that has been. And that's so again, we started at the very beginning. We worked all the way to the end. That end, there has to be an end to it. And that that is determined when you want to have the process end, not when they want to have the process end. Is there some flexibility? Sure, you get to call yourself on that. You get to determine, the you know, for one athlete, um, wow, we're recruiting against two other schools we have no business even competing with athletically. We're, it's such a reach. We're swinging for the fence on this. I'm just going to let it go. See what happens. Okay, fine. That You're making a strategic decision there. I buy into that. But for the other 95% of your recruits, have some sort of end date and, and maintain it. Yep. All right. So we went through these nine steps that I would say are the beginning points of at least forming a complete recruiting philosophy. What what things didn't we answer or go over that you were hoping we would, or what questions did that generate that maybe we can talk about a couple of those before we end the podcast? I think overall, I mean, it brought up a lot of good stuff. Um, I think one question I just have from this last, our last uh, talk, or last question here is our yeah. end date is what would you, what would you say to an athlete that, Hey, we ended our conversation as far as recruiting goes uh, a month later, she comes back and says, Coach, I really want to come back. I really want to focus back on this. Do we restructure an offer for her? Do we continue to say no? Because as I think at that with that, I think she's going to still think we're secondary school. She went to try it, and we're coming back to her, her, secondary, her secondary school. I, I, I think you have flexibility there. I think yeah. it's, it, you know, Good player, um, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll restructure it. If it's somebody that um, you know you want to maintain your word, and you say, yeah, you know what, it's not. You know, we don't have the same offer or money available. We'd still love to have you, but you'd have to you know walk on. And I mean, I, I think coaches approach it all yeah. very differently. So I think again, you have flexibility. The, the, the whole point of these nine these nine sort of pillars that we went over and, and talked about is not to make everybody the same robotic coach all over the country. Because really within these nine, there's a lot of flexibility. You're defining yep. most of it. So you get to make those calls. You get to, you know, you have the right to change an offensive attack during the game because it's yep. not working out the way you thought it was after you broke down video, you know, the week before. Or, <laughs> you know, somebody gets injured, you have to change things. That's Those are realities of coaching. I just want there to be a core philosophy that you're working from where you consciously say, I'm moving away from my core philosophy on this one, but here's why. Yeah. If you can answer that for yourself and feel good about it and it's not jeopardizing any of the, you know, the perception of the program or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. You have a player that, that you recruited two years ago. Um, that player went to, you know, another, you know, let's say another division one school and um, it didn't work out there. Whatever he or she thought was going to happen, didn't happen. And now they're coming back and saying, Hey coach, I made a huge mistake. Really wish I would have gone there. Can I come and play? I, am I going to say, Nope. End of the process was two years ago. You're done. Oh, absolutely not. If they can help you 
on the field, on the court, whatever your sport is, and you have room, then absolutely. Yeah. I mean, circle back and take them because you're making a strategic decision. They've, they're going to come in. They're going to immediately be able to elevate our program, which really what um, that, that meets goal number four. What's the next goal of our program? You defined it as I, we want to raise the, the performance and level of, of, our, of, of how we perform. Yep. Does that meet that goal? Does, does making an adjustment get you back to the goal of number of meeting number four? Then if the answer is yes, yeah, absolutely. Because again, you're still sticking to your philosophy. And that's the important part of all this is as long as it's going and, and uh, helping you follow the same path that you have set up for yourself during calmer, more rational times, uh, and this is your plan, <laughs> not anybody else's, and you can justify it if it meets one of those points, then absolutely. Then, I gotcha. that, then, then yeah, then then you you make that switch. Well, awesome. Okay, coach, that is how we ended the conversation. Now, you get to do something that we advised this coach to do, which was go back over your notes, go back over the main points, and make sure you understood and defined each one of those points as it applies to your recruiting program, to the goals that you have. Coach, this is something that is not an easy one-take, uh, you get it right away type of thing. This is something that you have to work on. This is something that, especially if you have a staff, you have to work on and come to a decision on as a staff and put it into practice. So what I want you to do is listen to it again. Make sure you th are thinking about it a second time. How does this apply to us? Where do we need to change? What are the things that we want out of the process? And then put it into practice. Because philosophy is great, uh, fun to listen to, interesting to hear another coach go through it, but the, the impact comes when you, as a coach, put it into practice in your own program. That's what we want to have happen. Of course, uh, I'm willing to answer questions. Just email me, dan at dantutor.com. We would love to talk to you and try to apply it specifically to you in the same that we try to do with this coach. So always happy to answer questions. Um, a lot of information on our website and on our blog about this topic and others at dantutor.com. Just look for the recruiting blog there. You have 15 plus years of research and strategies and techniques and tips that we give away for free. It's part of our research library that we want you to understand and implement in your program. And let me also put a plug in for uh, this coming summer, the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. If you like digging deep into these types of topics and you like uh, doing it in the company of other coaches who are going to share strategies and tips and what they do and what's working and not working for them. Boy, this is a three-day experience that every college coach needs to have uh, happen at least once in their coaching career. And by the way, many coaches come year after year or they'll come every other year as their budget allows. It's not an expensive uh, a venture by any means, but still it's a sacrifice of some time and uh, some resources. But uh, you can find information out about this upcoming conference as we get ready for the next one at dantutor.com. Just look at the conferences tab and we would love to have you there. This next one is going to be good. Coach, that's going to wrap it up for today. If you 
uh, like the show, if you like what you're hearing, do me a favor, go to iTunes and Google where you got uh, the, uh, uh, the, the link and subscribe to the podcast and tell other coaches in your department that you're listening to it because they need this help too and the bigger the community comes the more voices we add to this and it becomes much more of a resource for you thanks for listening coach have a great day and i hope you implement the recruiting strategy and the recruiting philosophies that are going to work for your program that's the point of this it's all about action so stop right now and start taking action on this coach we'll see you next time on the college recruiting weekly podcast The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. <laughs>